2 Corinthians 4, in verse 7, where Paul is talking to the church and he's speaking to us about the power of God that gives us perseverance. I've titled today's message, The Power of God That Gives Us Perseverance. You see, he's telling us and he's telling the church in 2 Corinthians to not lose heart. To not lose heart, to not get discouraged. How many times have you gotten discouraged because of a situation, because of a circumstance, because of an event, and therefore your faith now, you put your faith on the back burner, maybe you stop coming to church, you stop reading your Bible because of something, and you got so discouraged. In fact, the, the, the number one tool that the enemy will try to use against you and against your faith, the number one tool that the enemy will use against you will be discouragement. He loves to discourage the church. He'll discourage you from coming to church. He'll discourage you from looking to Jesus. He'll discourage you from reading your Bible, right? And here he's saying, do not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. Endure, persevere now. He's going to teach us that when you sign up to serve the Lord with your life, when you say, I, I've decided to follow Jesus, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. We're going to raise our family, our children in the ways of God. You know what's going to happen? You're going to experience spiritual warfare and that is normal. You're going to experience spiritual warfare. You see, before maybe everything was so easy and it was going good. and I didn't go to church and things were going well, but I started to go to church. I signed up to serve. I put my name down on that potluck list and everything now started to go bad. And you start to ask yourself, why is it? Well, here he's going to tell us that God entrusted you as a jar of clay, as an earthen vessel, to deposit his light in it. Deposit light in an earthen vessel, in a container, in just a simple jar of clay, so that as he shines his light in us, in that jar of clay, we can shine now our light out to other people so that they know the glory of God. But he uses this terminology in verse 7. Let's read it where it says this. But we have this treasure. What is the treasure? It's the glory of God. You have a treasure. You have a treasure. Turn to your neighbor right now. Tell him you have a treasure. You have a treasure. But what is the treasure held in? It's not held in a treasure chest. It's not held in, 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 in a bottle with a map that gives you directions to that treasure. You have that treasure and that treasure is in earthen vessels. Now I thank God that He didn't deposit His treasure in heavenly vessels because then I would not have that treasure. I thank God that He decided to deposit His treasure in earthly vessels. You know who are the earthen vessels? We are the earthen vessels. Earthen vessels is another form or another name for a jar of clay. A jar of clay was a common instrument. It wasn't something special. It wasn't a jar of gold. It wasn't a jar of silver. It was a jar of just clay. It was mud. It was dirt put together. A jar of clay. I, I, we have a reason to be grateful today. That God decided to deposit His treasure in just now jars of clay now. And why did He do it in such weak, fragile, vulnerable containers? Why did God choose to deposit His glory in us, such weak people, such fragile people, imperfect people, because jars of clay had imperfections. Why did God de decide to deposit His treasure in jars of clay? So that He would demonstrate that the power in the ministry is not in the container, it's in the treasure that God has deposited in our lives. 
So that we can never boast and say, well, look at me. This is, I'm doing it because of me. Well, look at them. The success of ministry is happening because of, of my experience or because of, of, of now my education or because of my resources, because of my funds or because we've just done it for a long time. Because it worked last year, so it's going to work this year. No, we're jars of clay. We're, we're just weak, fragile containers, he says. And God so chose to deposit and give you grace in your life. Think about that. In a weak, vulnerable, just common clay. So that He can get all the glory. Verse 7. That the excellence of the power. The power doesn't come from you. The power doesn't come from you. May be of God and not of ourselves. God's glory, God's power is most manifested. It's most revealed. In jars of clay, in broken jars of clay. What happens when you have something in a container? And then it breaks, it's spilled. Now everyone is able to see, it is revealed to everyone else what was in there. So now the light that's in you, the brokenness that happens in your life, now is it makes a way for you to shine the light of God's glory. Thank God for brokenness. Because every time you're broken as that jar of clay... Every time you decide and you understand that in and of yourself you can't do it, when you know that you are weak, your imperfections, you have no power, when you come to the bottom of yourself, to the end of yourself, it is when you come to the beginning of God and the light of God is never shining more brighter in your life than when you're broken. It's never shining more brighter than when you have come to the end of yourself. That is when the light starts to shine the most. Because you've become broken, a broken vessel in the hands of God. And now His light is shining now out of you. And look, He's going to tell us so beautifully, the power is not from you. The power is not from us. The power is from God. And that very same power that is from God, think about that very same power that is from God, gives you now endurance to go through the suffering in ministry. Because it's not about... If I will go through suffering, I'll let you know. It is when you go through suffering, you will go through suffering. The Bible promises a lot of things. You know what the Bible also promises? That you will go through suffering. That's some of the promises that we don't like to highlight in the Bible. We like to highlight the Bible that in the promises, be strong, courageous, and, and you're not going to be afraid. You're going to overcome. But what about the promises where God says you will suffer? You're going to go through suffering. It might be different from every single person, but God's going to let you go through some type of suffering. You know why He does it? I love this about God. Because He gives you the power to endure. And through suffering, you start to become more like Jesus. God has a way of using suffering as a tool for good in the life of the believer. God has a way of using suffering as, as, a, as a tool to add value in the life of the believer. And I want to explain to you just five things of what suffering does or why suffering and what it accomplishes, what suffering accomplishes in the life of the believer that is submitted to God. Now, suffering will never accomplish nothing in your life if you're not submitted to God. You'll say, I'm going through all this suffering, but if your life is not submitted to God through suffering, it will not accomplish nothing. It's going to be a waste of time, a waste of pain, a waste of hurt. But if your life, is submitted to God, suffering will accomplish something for you. Would you like to know what it is? Well, it's five things. 
Number one, from verses 8 and 9, suffering builds endurance in the life of the believer. Suffering builds endurance in the life of the believer. Maybe right now you're going through some type of suffering. God is trying to build some endurance in your life. But you know what endurance builds? It builds character. Endurance, you know what it builds? Now it builds holiness. It builds perseverance. Suffering accomplishes and builds endurance in the life of the believer that is submitted to God. Suffering, number two, it teaches you to deny yourself. Have you ever been in a situation where you're suffering and you have to deny yourself or maybe your spouse so that your marriage can work? Maybe you're, so you're going through a certain struggle or trial and, and, and maybe you just entered a different season in life and you're going through suffering. You're learning to deny yourself. That's what suffering also accomplishes. It teaches you to deny yourself. Number three, suffering puts your trust in God and not in yourself. Suffering allows you to put your trust in God. When everything is going good, guess who your trust is in? It's in self. It's in your power. It's in your experience. It's in, I have it all together. Everything is good. But then when suffering comes along, you know what it teaches you? To deny yourself. And to put your trust in God. Because that's where your trust belongs. You know where your trust doesn't belong? In yourself. Your trust doesn't belong in your bank account. Your trust doesn't belong in your experience, in your relationship, in anything else. The only safe place to put your trust is in God. Now, number four, what, what, what suffering accomplishes for the believer that's submitted to God, it produces the character of Jesus in you. It makes you more like Jesus. Have you noticed that when you're going through suffering and trials and you're denying yourself and all of this, now the Lord starts to, all right, now I get to mold your heart. Now we're working with your heart. Now we're working with your mind. All right, let's, let's start working with that attitude now through suffering. And God now starts to mold your heart. Now, to, to be more like His heart and your character now starts to be like the character of Christ. Now, number five, suffering also focuses your attention on eternal things. When you are not, when everything is going good sometimes in our life, we're so blessed, we're going through those seasons where, where everything is just so smooth, our, our focus tends to shift to temporal things. What does suffering do? It puts your eyes in, on heaven. What happens when you're going through pain, physical pain? What do you do? You start to thank God that you have a hope that God's going to give you a glorious body. And your focus is on eternal things. Suffering for the life of the believer accomplishes this. That it puts your focus on eternal things. Where is your focus today? Now he says this. That the power of God is, is not from us. The power is from God himself. It's not of ourselves. He's going to teach us the value of suffering. So that we don't quit. A lot of times Christians spend a lot of time thinking about quitting. And then instead of spending time. Looking at the face of Jesus. How, how much face time do you have with the Lord Jesus? How much face time have you spent in front of the Lord? Where you're just looking at the Lord because that's where the glory of God is. And He tells us that in verse 6. Now let's go to verse 8 now as we continue. And He's going to tell us the struggles that He faced. And the struggles that maybe you're facing today. But as you're facing those struggles, he reminds us to look to the face of Jesus, to the glory of God. You're going through struggles, look to the face of Jesus. Don't look to your neighbor, don't look to that co-worker, don't look at your boss. 
Look to the face of Jesus. It says here, we are hard pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Because some of us came and we were so hard pressed on every side. Lord, we thank you that even when we're hard pressed, Lord, we are not crushed. And because of that, we can have hope to continue in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Amen. Now he says we're hard pressed. What does the word hard pressed on every side mean? Well, let's, start, let's talk about what every, side, what every side he was talking about. In fact, he says we are hard pressed every side. Every side means inward, spiritually we're hard pressed. And outward, physically we're hard pressed as well. Inwardly, do you feel hard pressed right now? And outwardly, maybe your body, you feel hard pressed right now? Because every side means inward, spiritual. Outward means physical. And hard pressed is this, the definition. It means to be squeezed into a very narrow space. Squeezed into a very narrow space. Yesterday, I had the opportunity of going to a men's conference, I'll tell you. And I was sitting just to just some beautiful brothers in the faith. But uh, three of us were sitting back, just next shoulder to shoulder to one another. I'm not the biggest guy, I'll tell you. But these guys are a little bit bigger than me, and they were squeezed in there. Uh, they were sitting like this on the side of their chair, trying to fit shoulder to shoulder to one another. They were squeezed, they're hard pressed on one location. Do you feel maybe you're squeezed in sometimes? Man, I feel squeezed in in a very narrow space. I feel like there's no oxygen here. I feel as if I'm going through a very narrow space and where the walls are crashing in on me, where I no longer have the strength to continue. That's what it means to be hard to pray. I'm being pressed in, in a very narrow space right there. But I love this because look what he says. Although I'm being squeezed here, it says on every side, I'm not crushed. You know what not crushed means? He's, he's building endurance. Because as he's, hard, as he's hard pressed on every side, not crushed means none of my bones are broken. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? What a hope that Paul gives us. Although I am squeezed, none of my bones are broken. I am not crushed. I'm not broken here. My bones are still intact. He goes on and he says in verse 8, We are perplexed, but not in despair. What does the word perplex mean? Perplex is the idea of your emotions or your feelings getting now control over you and you do not know what to do. You are in doubt. You don't know what to do. I'm perplexed because I'm dominated by emotions and by feelings. I am perplexed. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt that your emotions were telling you there is no way out. I am not doing this right. I am perplexed. I feel like there's no way out. I feel like I want to give up. I don't know what to do. Emotionally, I'm filled with doubt. That's what perplexed means. There's no way out. However, even then, even then, even when he's hard pressed and he's not crushed, now when he's here perplexed, he's not in despair. He's not in despair. You know what despair means? He doesn't give up. He's still has not lost hope. Maybe today you came and you, you are hard pressed. 
you are squeezed into a very narrow space. You are perplexed too as well. Where you think that emotionally your feelings now are telling you that there is no way out. That you should just give up. Where here he says, don't be crushed. We are not crushed because our power, our endurance comes from God. And we still have not lost hope. See, in the life of the believer, we, would, uh, we must understand. You will be hard-pressed. You will be perplexed. But no, you won't be crushed when you're submitted to God. And you will never lose hope when you're looking to Jesus. And that's what he's telling us. You have to be submitted to God in order to go through this and survive. The reason why we can't survive sometimes being perplexed and hard-pressed is because we're not submitted to Jesus. And when you're not submitted to Jesus... And you're going through these seasons in life. When you're going through these seasons in life, you're not submitted to Jesus. You will not make it now with an attitude of saying, I, I, I have hope in Jesus Christ. Because your hope is in something else. Now he goes on and he says this in verse 9. We're persecuted. The world doesn't like us. Because we're Christian. And now everywhere you go, you, you, you say the word Jesus, the name of Jesus. People will not like you. They'll frown against you. You tell them you're going to church on a Wednesday night. They'll, they'll say, why are you doing that? You tell them you want to go on Friday night to pray. They'll, they'll look at you like if you're weird. You, you start to stand for biblical now principles and values of God's word now. Against policy and culture of today. And guess what they will? They'll start to think that those are hate crimes. And, and, and start to think of you like as if you're being prejudiced to people. And that, that you are, are not demonstrating equality or whatnot. Why? Because the church is now experiencing persecution. You see, if you're really living your life out as a Christian, you will experience persecution. If you haven't experienced any persecution, you have to ask yourself, what kind of witness am I? I must just look like the world because everyone just likes me. Is there any type of persecution taking? Persecution means the world does not like me because I look like Jesus. You see, we are persecuted but we are not forsaken. Yes, you might be persecuted. However, He has not abandoned you. That word forsaken means He has not forsaken. He, we are not abandoned by God. Now let's read on in verse 9. He says, we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Underline that in your Bible. Struck down, but we are not destroyed. Now I love this. Struck down, but not destroyed peace. Because essentially what he is saying, he's saying, we are knocked down, but we're not knocked out. <laughs> you might have knocked me down, you know, through a trial, through tribulation, through a season in life. I, I maybe, man, I, I've experienced some knocked downs in life. I've, haven't not you? Where you're going through a season in life and you feel like you're knocked down. That you, man, I, I just, I'm knocked down right here because of this trial. However, I'm not destroyed. That means I'm not knocked out. I'm still in the fight. Have you ever seen a, 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 a just a combat sports when, when somebody gets knocked down? Guess what happens when they're knocked down? They have, a, they have an opportunity now to get up. <laughs> they're still in the fight. They're not knocked out. I'm not knocked out. That's what Paul's saying. I am not defeated. When you're going through struggles and your trust is in God, you are un defeated and that sounds I mean that gives me courage to go through struggles that I'm going through this struggle and I am undefeated if I'm submitted to God because I might be knocked down but I'm not destroyed I'm not knocked out I am still in the fight Paul is saying I'm still in the fight 
And the reason why I'm still in the fight is because God gives me the power to endure. I am still in the fight. I've gone through it. This is part of my testimony, he's saying. I'm facing trials knowing that God controls trials and He uses trials to strengthen His people. Did you know that? That God uses trials to strengthen you, to make you more like Him? And instead of saying, Lord, take me out of this trial already, start asking, Lord, why don't you change me in this trial? Why don't you make me more like you? Why don't you let me see what you're trying to teach me? Because God has a way of using His trials to not only test His people, but also to teach His people. Are you there learning in the trial today? I'll tell you, and we're going to see in a few verses right now, that you can trust God in the trial. You can trust God in the trial. Now in Psalms 37 verse 23 to 24, David, a man that was always going through trials, King Saul was always hunting them down. He was running away from his enemies, riding in caves. These Psalms to God, he says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Those that are submitted to God, his steps are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. God delights in the way of those who have good steps. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Isn't it amazing when you're submitted to God, you're, you're right in His hand? And if you fall, guess where you're falling? You're falling right in His hand. That's amazing. I, I would be very scared to walk outside of the hand of God because my steps are not good. And I'm going through trials and I fall, but I'm not falling in the hands of God. The safest place to fall is in the hands of God because you know you can stand right up there and He's going to hold you. He upholds you with His hand. You can trust Him. No matter what steps of faith you do, you can trust Him because He's holding you with His hands. It was so just funny yesterday, my son was standing on the bed. And, and he was just, you know, he, he wanted to jump and he wanted me to catch me. He said, catch me. And he was going to jump and, and as soon as I would step away from the bed, he would say, no, no, Daddy, hold my hand. You know, hold my hand. And, and he would hold my hands and then he would jump. <laughs> Because that's how he felt safe. He did not feel safe jumping or taking that leap without holding my hand. No, he's not going to jump. Because he doesn't want to fall without feeling the security of his father holding his hands. Do you see that beautiful picture? The Lord reminded me, this is how I want you to take a leaps of faith, Art. Just hold my hand. And you'll feel secure. Just hold my hand and jump. Just hold my hand and know this, that no matter what, even if you fall, I still am holding you. Do you see what happens here, what Paul is describing? I'm going through these seasons in ministry where I'm hard, I'm squeezed. Where I'm perplexed emotionally, I feel like there's no way I want to give up. I came discouraged. I think that there's no way, I haven't lost hope though, he said. Or he's saying, I, I, I am now, have been, and, and I've seen it in my life in verse 8, where he says, I've struck down, and you've seen it in your life, where you've struck down. Uh, you feel like you're getting beat up by everyone around you. Man, yeah, these people have to stop beating me up. The world is beating me up. Go to work, my boss is beating me up. You think I go home, my siblings, my family, my parents, my wife, my husband, I'm getting beat up by the world right now. Guess what? But I'm not destroyed. I might be knocked down. I might got hit with a couple good shots, but I'm not knocked out. I'm still in this fight. Now verse 10, it says, Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What is he, where is he taking us now with this? 
with this. After saying that he's going to build us endurance, he's going to tell us now in verse 10 how suffering allows you and teaches you to deny yourself. Well, how does it teach you to deny yourself? In verse 10 it says, always caring about in the body. In the body that you have today, that body that God has given you, we're always carrying the dying of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to carry the dying of the Lord Jesus? To carry the dying of the Lord Jesus, it means that we are always living the crucified life. That's what it means to carry the dying of the Lord Jesus. To carry the dying of the Lord Jesus means that you carry your cross and follow Him. What did Jesus go to the cross to do? Before He went to die, He went to deny Himself. <laughs> he was denying Himself. When you're going through suffering, have you noticed that that's what it does? It, it forces you to deny yourself. Man, I'm going through suffering. I am forced today. I'm put in a position to be forced to deny myself. But the only way to deny yourself is by carrying your cross and to follow Christ. So he's saying we're always carrying in the body. In this body that I have, I am always living the crucified life. The crucified life is a life where you say I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Jesus. That is the crucified life. The crucified life saying, I'm denying my personal desires, my priorities, and I'm making God my priority. That is the crucified life. I'm carrying in my body the crucified life so, that, so something would be evident. Do you know that when you deny yourself, you become like Jesus? Because that's what Jesus did. He gave us that example that He denied Himself. He humbled Himself. He suffered for us. So that when you suffer for other people, when you deny yourself for what you want, from you deny yourself of position, of status, of whatever it is that you are, your aspiration, you deny yourself for the cause of Christ, you're becoming more like Christ because that's exactly what He did. Never has a picture of us being more like Christ mean more to us than in this verse. You, you're telling me that when every time I deny, that I give up that which I wanted so I can serve someone, that means I'm becoming more like Jesus? Yes. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that God Himself, He left the comfort of heaven to come serve you and die on the cross. He left the comfort of heaven. Being, he was being worshipped for eternity by angels, multitude of hosts, of creatures that we don't even know about. He was, he was being worshipped. Think about the comfort, the throne of being God. <laughs> And he left that. And he became a human. He became us. So that he can serve you and me. That is ultimate denial of self. Sometimes we, you know, we think we don't want to deny. Oh, you want me to go to church today? I have to deny myself for that? No. Come on, church. Let us learn to deny ourselves for the cause of Christ. Because if you're not denying yourself, then you're not going to become ever like Jesus. You're going to become more like you and less like Christ. I don't want to become the best version of me. A lot of people say, just be the best version of yourself. That's horrible. The best version of myself is going to get me to hell. <laughs> it is. It really is. I want to become more like Jesus. Right? And that's what we want. It's always caring about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 10. For what? Why is it that I have to deny myself? That the life of Jesus, it doesn't say that your best life, <laughs> that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body so that it would be evident, that it would be very clear that the more that you deny yourself, the more that Jesus is alive in you. That means that I, I decrease, He increases. The more I deny myself, the more He's alive in me. 
the more others can see in me that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Is Jesus manifested? When something manifests itself, it becomes very clear. Oh my gosh, that's manifested. Have you ever seen someone so, uh, just someone angry and then they manifest the anger? How do they manifest the anger? They, they manifest the anger by yelling and screaming. How does a little young, you know, two-year-old manifest a temper? Man, you don't want to know. <laughs> Have you seen someone and maybe you're sick or, or, or maybe you, 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 you're going through something and, and your body manifests now that sickness that you're going through? Well, let me ask you, what is the public manifestation that you are like Jesus? What is the public? When people look at you, man, there's a, he, that, that person is manifesting right now, Jesus. You can tell it is evident they're, they're, they're manifesting Christ. We've never seen Jesus more. Like when we see that person manifest Jesus. The New Living Translation says this. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be also seen in our bodies. How is the life of Jesus seen in your body when you're suffering? People are going to see you going through suffering and they see your hope. They see you're, you're anchored in Christ. They see that you're unshaken, that you're knocked down, but you're not knocked out, that you're still undefeated in Jesus Christ, that you are still in the fight. And they say, there is no way. What is the problem? What is the matter here? This person is becoming more like Christ because there's no way that they can go through that and survive with that type of attitude. Where is, the face, where is our face at? Where is our focus at? On Jesus. You see, the more that we die to self, the more that we share in His death. The more that we die to self, the more that we share in His death. And the more that we share in His death, the more that Jesus come, becomes alive in us. The more that you die to self, the more that you share in the death of Christ. That means the more that you're denying yourself. And the more that happens, the more Jesus is alive in you. So what do we learn here in, from verse 10? That suffering produces Christ-likeness. Did you know that? You're suffering today. Ask the Lord, Lord, produce in me more Christ-likeness. That's what He wants to accomplish in your life. Maybe you came hard-pressed, perplexed, in despair. He's saying, Lord, I'm hard-pressed. I'm squeezed in right now. I just need some time to breathe a little. But what is the, what is the word here teaching us? That suffering produces more of the character of Jesus in His work, in our lives. And there are some aspects for you to know today. That there are some things that God wants to accomplish in your life that He cannot accomplish without a little trial. There's sometimes God says, I want them to grow. I need to send their trial their way. I'm going to send this trial their way. And I'm going to give them the strength to endure that trial. But it's for their best. There's no way they can grow without this trial. I need to give them this trial. Because it teaches them to deny themselves and be more like me. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I don't only want to experience the power of His resurrection. A lot of times we want to experience the power of the resurrection. Power over this, over my life. Power over that. Power over sin. Power over my past. But he also said this, I also want to experience now the fellowship of His suffering. And I want to be conformed to His death. Why did Paul say that he wanted to experience fellowship of his suffering? That I want to be united to how, how Jesus denied it himself. I want to unite myself so close to how Jesus denied himself. 
You see, the problem with the world today, the problem with what the world teaches us and is feeding us in music and culture and media and everything is not to deny yourself. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's to promote yourself. It's me first, right? It's to build yourself when God says, deny yourself. You know, why is it that he wanted the fellowship of his suffering? Because the fellowship of his suffering and conformed to his death were certain fragrances that Paul knew. These are certain fragrances that Paul knew as a jar of clay that God, that God could only manifest through him as a broken now vessel. You can only get this fragrance if you go through a broken vessel. You can only get that sweet smell if you go through a broken vessel. It's costly. It's expensive. Why? Because you're going through trials. Maybe you go and you buy a specific fragrance that you love. And it's expensive. <laughs> it costs you a lot to buy that type of fragrance. It costs you a lot to be able to, to maybe you know, go out and look for it. And it's manufactured. Why is it cost a lot? Because of the way it's manufactured. Right? Why is it? Because of the manufacturer, the little brand that it says, it says whatever brand that you like, right? It has it there. And the manufacturer, it's what raises the price. It's what, why you get such a beautiful fragrance because of the manufacturer. Well, think about you in the hands of the great manufacturer, Christ. As a broken vessel, he produces a fragrance that is so beautiful that you cannot get anywhere else. Apart from going through that trial, he says, I need to break that vessel. I need to break that vessel to bring a beautiful fragrance in the hands of that manufacturer. Do you see that picture? Now verse 11, it says, For we who live are always delivered to death. We are always delivered to death. Now you think that you're going through some struggles. No matter where Paul was going, he was either in jail or he was running away from death. Right? We were always delivered from death. For whose sake? For Jesus' sake. Now, if I'm going to go ahead and go and make that decision, or if you're going to go and make a, a certain move in life, is it for Jesus' sake? At the end of the day, does Jesus get the glory? At the end of the day, does Jesus get the glory? At the end of the day, who gets the glory? He said, we're being delivered to death, but it's for the cause of Christ. So I'm okay with it. And he says, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Again, manifestation of Jesus in my body, manifestation of Jesus, it would be evident in my dying body. Our, our bodies right now, they're dying, right? We heard it yesterday, you may want to eat the best you know, food, you might want to eat the lowest calories and, and work out every single day, you're still going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. However, as we're dying, our bodies are decaying right now. Our bodies are decaying right now. As our bodies are decaying, we're in that process of decay. That's what happens. We are still able to manifest Jesus. Because through the suffering and through the pain and through all of it, people can see that we deny ourselves and we are being more like Christ than anything else. Do people see through suffering Jesus in you? Suffering is a way, it's a platform almost for the world to see Jesus. Think about it that way. Suffering is a platform, it's a window, it's an opportunity in my life for others to see Jesus. Because they'll think, man, what is, the, what is the matter with this person? No matter what we do, they have a good attitude. Change their schedule at work, they come in with a smile. 
We tell them that they, they, they have to work these days. They, they still have a good attitude. <laughs> they, they, things are going tough at home and they come in still with joy. They come in with that suffering. Why? Because it's a platform for us to become more like Jesus. Now verse 12, it says, So then death is working in us, but life in you. Why was he willing to go through these struggles? Why was he willing to live the inconvenient life? The uncomfortable life? Why was he willing to do that? He wasn't attached to comfort. He wasn't embraced to comfort. We want to be so embraced to comfort. Lord, give me comfort. Lord, give me security. It, it is so sad. And I've recognized it so many times. I have to be careful even in my own life. Because we have been painted a picture that if we have security and that we have comfort, then that is success. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Why is it that we're chasing security and chasing comfort? Where in this book can you find that? That that is success. In the world that might be success. You know what happens when you're chasing security and comfort? You become in bondage to the things of this world. Because you're so in love with, with security and comfort. And you become in bondage to be an enslaved to the things that this world wants you to do. Security and comfort is not that. He's saying, I'm willing to go to death for the sake of Jesus. So then death is working in us, but life in you. It's okay to suffer a little bit for the sake of someone else. It's okay to live an inconvenient life for the sake of someone else. Because Jesus is living in them. You know, the, the Corinthians, they thought that Paul was not a real apostle because he was going through all these struggles and he was always going through prison. He wasn't getting paid by the church. He was going through everything you could possibly imagine. And they said, you know what? He's not a real apostle. If he was, he wouldn't be going through all of this. But they didn't see that the victory in their life was because of the suffering in his. There is no greater satisfaction than for you to say the victory in their life. It's because I get to suffer for them for the sake of Jesus. There's no greater peace. The Paul was saying the victory in their life is because of the, the suffering in mine. I get to suffer so that you can have victory. Didn't that what Jesus did? You would say, well, you know what? That's crazy. Paul, you did that back in the day. I'm straight. That's a wrap. I'm not doing that. <laughs> what did Jesus do? Didn't that Jesus go suffer on the cross so that you can have victory? Isn't that being more like Christ? Didn't Jesus go on the cross and suffer so that me and you can know and taste the victory now and death no longer has a grip on us, that the grave no longer holds us back now, that we maybe can be knocked down but we're not knocked out? Because Jesus decided, I'm going to suffer so that they can have victory. That's the attitude of Christ. In Romans 8 verse 38, Paul says this, For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, I'm convinced, even through suffering. He was going through suffering. Next time you're going through suffering, write this down. Put this on your fridge. <laughs> put this on whatever you go. Maybe you, you put a post-it in your car, at your office, at your desk, wherever it is, your bedroom, your children's bedroom, at your doorstep. For I am persuaded. I'm going through suffering. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Even whatever I'm going to face, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing that you can face suffering and trials through that? Oh man, I feel so tired. I feel so weary. I feel like I want to give up. I feel like that I'm burned out. I feel all of this. But I'm persuaded still. 
I might be persecuted, but I'm persuaded on one thing. I know one thing. I might feel this thing one way, but I know something. And I'm not consumed. I'm not motivated. I'm not dictated by how I feel. I'm dictated by what I know. I'm persuaded that I'm never going to be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Just like Jesus suffered for our salvation, so Paul suffered for the salvation of other people. Amazing. Amazing to learn. Suffering for the salvation of others. Learning to live a life of self-denial for others. We read the book of Acts and we think about it. They never complained about inconvenience. They never complained about cost. They never complained about how things looked. How, the bil- how a building looked. How the distance of a church was. They didn't complain about anything. They went through persecution. Heavy persecution. And because they were, he- they were heavily persecuted, they were a strong church. You know what's going to make the church strong? Well, you know what's going to purify the church? Persecution. It's going to make us strong together. Suffering. It's going to make the church strong. Verse 13, it says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, guess what he's saying here? He's moved and he's told us now how suffering builds endurance. How suffering teaches you to deny yourself so that you, as you suffer, others can be saved. But in verse 13, it teaches you to put your trust in God. How does it teach you to put your trust in God? Let's read that in verse 13 because he says this, as, Since as we have the same spirit of faith, since we trust God right here, according to what is written, not according to what they said, according to what is written in His word. Not according to what they think, not according to their opinions. I believed and therefore I spoke, so we also believe and therefore we speak. What is he saying? I trust God, I believe enough to risk my life. I believe enough to speak out the truth. I trust God enough through the trial to be able to go through it. What is in verse 13 he's telling us when he's saying believe? I'm trusting God through the trial. I want to encourage you to trust God through the trial today. He was speaking because he had faith. Speaking because he had faith. Verse 14, believed, trusted, faith. Verse 14, knowing that. Would you underline that please, knowing? I want you to notice that he didn't say feeling that. He said knowing that. He believed, he trusted God to the trial because of what he knew, not because of what he felt. He trusted God in the trial not because of what he felt, but because of what he knew. You see, your feelings will always separate you, your emotions, from really putting your trust in God. You have to go back to what you know. What do you know? You know that God is faithful. Know that you're persuaded that nothing is ever going to separate you from the love of God. Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus, knowing that God who raised up Jesus, I know this. That God raised up Jesus, who will also raise us up with Jesus, and will present us up with you. Know this. I'm going through the trial, but I know that I still have hope. Just like God raised up Jesus, He's going to raise me up and present me to the Father with the church. Do you understand that even through the trial in verse 14, He was full of hope? He was not full of despair. He wasn't full of discouragement. He was still full of hope because of what he knew, knowing that. Next time you're going through a trial, 
and you see the end goal, the end result to be that one day you're going to meet with, be met with Jesus. Does this verse not give us comfort through the trials that we can be focused not on how we feel, we can be focused on what we know. And what do we know? We know that our future is filled with hope. The future is looking very bright right now <laughs> when your life is in Jesus. You sometimes think that the future looks great because of what we have lined up. Think about what God has lined up for you. Man, the future looks amazing. The hope that you have in the future looks great. Now verse 15, it tells us, for all these things are for your sake. What would happen if someone looked into your life and they said, all these things are for, for your own sake, but not for anyone else's sake. They're for your benefit. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to go through this for your benefit. Selflessness. Do you see how he's, he's learning to be selfless? Do you see like that how now as he's trusting God, he, we're going to see that it produces godly character in him. But what is he? How does it produce godly character? There's nothing more godly than thinking about someone else. There's nothing more godly than selflessness. Because he's saying suffering has taught me one thing: to deny myself and to think about others. If suffering teaches you one thing, is to deny yourself and to think about others. Because more importantly, know this, as you're going through a trial, someone also is going through a trial. And someone else's trial sometimes is a little bit more than what you're going through. Just think about that. Put that into perspective, not to take away from anything that you're going through. But there are people that are going through just really difficult times, persecution, underground church, for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it says this here in verse 15, For all these things are for your sake, that grace may spread through the many. And just think about how a fire spreads so quickly. How does a fire spread? Once the fire now catches, now wood, and the wood spreads to another piece of wood, it, 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 it consumes now. It's unstoppable, that fire. Grace has spread now because we've learned to suffer. Grace is spreading to the many. It says here, spreading, having spread through the many, may cause, what does it do here? Grace, thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Verse 15. The crucified life that I'm living, willing to suffer and sacrifice for other people, is for their benefit. And because of that, grace is spreading to many people. And because of that, we can be grateful. See, even through his suffering, he maintained an attitude of gratitude. What would happen if we were going through suffering? We say, Lord, through this suffering, I'm going to maintain an attitude of thanksgiving. We're coming up on Thanksgiving now. It's coming and people are so excited. You start to make plans with your family. Start to make plans with friends and all of that. What you want to share and that meal and everything. But Thanksgiving is not a day. It's a lifestyle. Of gratitude to God. In spite of what I'm going through. In spite of the trial that I'm going through. I am giving thanks to God. Because people are receiving the grace of God. And as we end here in verse 15. It says here. Thanksgiving abound to the glory of God. You know what happens here? That God will receive more glory. It's going to be more good for others. More glory of God. And, I am, and if that is the case that I am filled with thanksgiving. I'm filled with thanksgiving. The New Living Translation says this, all of this is for your benefit. As for God's grace reaches more and more people, 
There will be a great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more and more and more glory. Can we have that attitude today and say, Lord, if you're going to get the glory at the end of this, then give me the strength to just go through it. Because at the end of the day, I just want you to get glory. I, I want you to get glory, God. And if your grace is going to be manifested through this, then just give me the strength because I want you to have the glory. Do you want God to have the glory, church? Do we want that? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, because even as we're hard-pressed, Lord, we're not crushed. Our bones are not broken. We're intact still if we're submitted to you. We thank you, God, that even though we're perplexed, where our emotions tell us there's no way out, God, where we doubt, where we live in fear, God, at certain seasons, God, we know even then, Lord, that we have not lost hope. We know, God, that maybe we are struck down. We may maybe be knocked down, but we're not knocked out, God. Because we're always carrying the body of the Lord Jesus. We're always living the crucified life. 